There are so many stories in the Bible, stories of Jesus walking on water and stories of Jesus feeding like hungry multitudes of people and stories of Jesus casting out demons, stories of Jesus giving attention to parents, even raising children from the dead. So there's all, there's all these stories and they are amazing and they teach us things about who Jesus is and what matters to him. And I believe them and I'm grateful for them. And there are also, there are also other stories that are important as well. And they don't necessarily touch on Jesus in like a, a miraculous way, but they give us insight into the heart of Jesus. They give us insight into what is important to him. And I was thinking about this this week. There are, there are thousands of things that Jesus said and did while he was on this planet that are not recorded. So John even tells us that. that there, are, there are tons of things that he did that aren't recorded and preserved for us. They happened. We just don't have a record of them. But what that does tell us is what we do have a record of, God wanted us to have and see and understand and appreciate. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit led Luke to include the stories like we are about to read. So it's, it helps us understand Jesus a little bit better. And I hope this story gives you a window into his heart. Because I think when we get that window into his heart, it could change us in a pretty powerful way. So David's encouraged us, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let me begin reading, okay? As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary. This sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That story probably is familiar to many. And if so, I hope that familiarity leads you into uh, even a deeper understanding of what's going on there. If it's not familiar to you, I think this is a, an amazing story where we learn so much about what matters to Jesus. The story really has three characters, two of which speak, which we're going to focus on the two that speak. And this story has a way of kind of pulling me in. I don't feel like I'm an outsider looking in. I feel like on any given day, I can be exactly where Martha is in this story. And mentioning Martha, I do want to be careful not to kind of go Martha bashing, because it's very easy in this story to point out some of her flaws, some of the things that she is doing wrong. But my goal will be to be as respectful to Martha as Jesus was. After all, Martha was the one that welcomed Jesus into 
her house. Martha is the one that wanted to make sure Jesus was well taken care of. So we're going to ask a couple questions that I think will help, help us process these verses. So one of those questions that I want to ask is, what did Martha want? And the other question I want to ask is, what did Jesus want? So two questions. The first is like, what does Martha want in this passage? Her character is uh, a really a good one, and we can resonate with her because Martha is dialed in. Martha notices things. She's sharp. She also is keeping score. What do I mean? Martha is noticing. Martha is noticing who's doing what. Martha is also noticing who's not doing what. Martha is noticing also what needs to be done. She also is paying attention to what needs to be said and who needs to say it. I would imagine that probably many of us in the room could have a a Martha moment in which we recognize something needs to be done. It's not a foreign world for me to inhabit. No one close to me would be surprised that, like, if you make a plan, you want to try to do the plan and, and try to do it well and do it right and help people and serve people. And so in that way, probably many of us can at least move over into identification with Martha. What does Martha want here? Well, Martha clearly, it's very easy to notice she has an agenda. Can I use that word? She has an agenda. She has an agenda for Mary, her sister, doesn't she? So you read it in the passage. Like she sees Mary in verse 39, Mary at the feet of Jesus. And in her mind, like maybe there's a time for that, but this isn't the time. So she sees Mary and she's realizing Mary's not doing much here. And she's also recognized things need to be done. But there sits Mary and she's listening to Jesus, but things need to be done. And, and Martha has an agenda. Her agenda is Mary's got to help. I mean, if we're, if we're going to pull this day off having Jesus here, having company in our house, Mary's got to help. We can use our imagination to recognize even how this situation goes. And I know it's not in exactly in the text, but it's not that hard for us to play this out. We've all been in family scenarios. If you have siblings, this isn't, like, this isn't foreign ground for you to imagine. Maybe Martha takes a first pass at like she's starting to ramp up, feeling a little bit like, We've, we've got to do some things here. We've got to, got to pitch in. There's this and there's this and there's this. We have our plan. And you can imagine as her kind of blood pressure starts rising, maybe she takes a first pass at a hint to Mary. Maybe, hey, it'd be nice if we had some help here. Maybe she says it in a nice way. She summons all of her politeness. And you can imagine, I mean, this is the way these things go. You hint first of like, maybe we could get some help in here. I, I'm, I'm just about to bring it out, but I'm going to need, I've got three other things going on and probably another hand or two. So maybe she hints and that doesn't land well. And then maybe there's some uh, nonverbal gestures. Maybe there's some sighing that goes on, some deep breath. And everybody hears that everybody pays attention or do they because Mary doesn't move. I mean, these are the way these things go. It's a very human story. What Martha senses and maybe it bottles up to such a a point where it's like, Mary's got to help here. 
I got this, I got this, this could go wrong, this could go wrong. We're not going to do this well, we're not going to do this well, we're going to miss something. I'm left alone, she should be serving. So Martha has an agenda for Mary, but Martha has another agenda that you see in this passage. Martha has an agenda for Jesus. Did you notice that? Martha is paying attention and surely Jesus would pay attention too. Surely he would see the disparity of, of the workload here. Surely Jesus would see and he would notice. So maybe this is going on in her mind as she's processing Mary not doing anything. Will Jesus kind of help her out? With every pressing minute, she's getting a sense like he needs to say something. He needs to say something. And so that is her agenda. Like, Jesus, you need to say something. It's exactly what she tells him in verse 40. The wording, even is interesting, it's like she went into him or like, it's almost like she marched up and said, Jesus, and notice what she says. You have to care, right, Jesus? Like, surely you care about what's going on. Surely you care about the imbalance here. Surely you have noticed. And Jesus, surely, will you just help a little bit and speak up? Just encourage Mary maybe pitch in a little bit, not too much to ask, just a little bit. It's such a human moment and could be, I think, a pretty tense one. Setting aside the uncomfortable reality that Martha is telling Jesus what to do, I do think Martha's expectations here, they don't strike me as completely unreasonable on the surface. I mean, I know the story so well because I've read it so many times, but it's not unreasonable that if you're writing the story in a different setting, different place, Jesus kind of sides with Martha and says to Mary, you know, your sister has a point. Why don't you get out here and help a little bit? It's not unreasonable that Jesus, maybe in not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings, would kind of try to split the middle some way. Mary, let, we, we could all pitch in, but Martha, let's choose our words. Let's be nice with our words. And like we can, we can find some resolution where everybody's happy. No one feels embarrassed. It's interesting Jesus doesn't take either one of those. He doesn't say, Mary, get the work, or let's find some way of making everybody happy here. It's because actually Jesus dials into what's really going on with Martha. So I mean, we ask, like, what does she want? Well, deep down, she's not getting what she wants. She wants Mary to get up and do something, and she wants Jesus to say something, and neither of those things seem to be happening. She had an expectation of what this would look like, and it's not going her way. And I think if I ask for a show of hands, I won't, so you don't have to, like, totally go there, but if I ask for a show of hands of, like, who gets a little bit frustrated when they don't get their way? I think we're all pretty much in a category, like given the right set of scenario, the, the right scenario, the right set of things, I, I generally, it's generally better for me. I generally enjoy it more if I get my way. And Martha clearly is not getting hers. She's not getting things done. And, and I don't know, maybe she feels seems like she's definitely feeling irritation, but maybe there's even mixed in there in kind of in all that is 
guilt because she's not being able to take care of Jesus the way she wanted to. Maybe there's regret because this could have been such a good day, but look what's happening. Maybe there's disappointment flowing. It's not even lost on me that the things that Martha is trying to accomplish are not bad things at all. They're good things. She's trying to be a good hostess welcoming Jesus into her home. They're, They're not only good, they're also important. I mean, these things matter, and yet her reasonable expectation of how this day would go has not been met. And have you noticed sometimes we have reasonable expectations, but they degenerate into unreasonable responses. It goes there. It may go there far, far more than we care to admit. What seems to be just a reasonable expectation, I mean, I saw it, I don't know, at least a dozen times on sidelines yesterday as I was watching football games, there's a reasonable expectation that the ref is going to make the right call. But then I noticed like when the ref didn't make the right call, those expectations aren't met. Then I'm having the like, kids, we don't need to read the coach's mouth right now. We can just process he's not very happy with that. And he's just beside himself as if that's going to change one thing. It won't. But this is where we are. We don't get our expectations met however reasonable they may be. And then we go to another place. And it affects things, doesn't it? It affects relationships. I mean, you kind of, you, you've had enough and you're going to let everybody hear about it. You lean in, you speak up, you kind of let it all fly. And yeah, what you let fly a lot of times is verbal shrapnel as everybody's just kind of decimated and people remember what you said for a long after you really felt, felt it, like they're still remembering it. And these are the kinds of things that happen when those expectations don't quite get mad and we're not getting what we want and we just let it go. So it definitely affects other people. It affects family and friends, even in this passage it did, but it also affects us internally. It struck me this, this week as I read this passage again and again, the words used to describe Martha in this passage. So in verse 40, it says that she is distracted. In verse 41, it says that she is anxious and troubled. Another translation used the word worried and upset. So when we put all that together, and so here is Martha reaching a point where she is distracted, worried, and upset. This is where she is. And I can be very honest, and you would be honest as well. That's not a great place. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get to those places in my day, in my week, in my life where I am distracted, worried, and upset. Because when that happens, I'm not a lot of fun to be around. And I'm just going out on a limb saying, you probably aren't either. When that the, becomes the boiling point to where you have completely kind of lost the ability to focus or kind of handle your anxiety. At the end, though, the bigger issue is not just what's going on in Martha's heart that makes her a little bit anxious. What, what Jesus actually does call attention to is what's happened to her is she's pulled away from a moment where she could have been at the feet of Jesus listening to his words. So she's pulled away. That, that is kind of implied in the word distracted. She's pulled away. So what she wants in that moment what she has expectations for is actually pulled her away from something very good that could be happening. So she could be at Jesus' feet listening to his words and instead she's not. 
And because she's not, there's no amount of domineering or trying to manipulate the situation or getting frustrated that it's going to get her to a better state. That's not going to happen. It's not going to work like that way, like that in this case. Her problem isn't going to be fixed by clearing her throat, raising her voice, pounding something, getting more frustrated. She's pulled away and she's not at his feet, listening to his words. I I find this a very open invitation. If you're willing, I find it's an open invitation for us to kind of hold this up as a mirror and go, is there anything that pulls me away? Maybe the better question is like, what is it? Because surely there are things that pull us away that mean we're distracted, worried, and upset. And maybe we don't even recognize it's happening until it like reaches a escalated level. But it's just like slowly pulling you away. It's like you're at the beach and you kind of know where your tent or your umbrella is. And then it's like 10 minutes later, you're, you're 30 yards down, down the beach because you, you've been pulled away by a tide. I wonder, could it be, are there these things that are, are pulling you away as you look at your life? Are there big things that they just have the effect of instead of at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, you're distracted, worried, and upset. Are, they, are there big things? Are there small things? Are there new things? Are there entrenched things that just keep have a way of pulling you? Are there, are there good things that you want to do? Are there really kind of petty things that are bothering you? But what is it that's pulling you away? Is it pretty obvious? Is it actually it's kind of hidden, but over the course of time, you begin to notice it? Is it related to your personality? Is it because, like Martha, you are, you're kind of type A, if I can put that label on her, you, like, you know what needs to get done, and you're going to get what's done, and you're going to work yourself to the bone, even if nobody noticed, even if it's underappreciated, you're still going to get it done, but, but the collateral damage in that is you kind of been pulled away from the Lord. You're not at his feet, the, the times of really listening to his word, they've, they've suffered. Maybe you're not the type A, get it done, make sure it happens. Maybe that's not you, but maybe, maybe you're the spiritually sluggish. You're just not feeling that motivated to make this a priority to be at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, trying to get your heart in the right place to go, okay, Lord, I'm ready for you to speak or Maybe it's just your heart's moved. You're not sure when you'd pinpoint it, but there are things that have distracted you, things that seem important to you. And I mean, in the scope of eternity or in relationship to Jesus, they really shouldn't matter near what they're mattering to you, but they do and they are. And somehow this is like, this has got your number right now. So Martha had her own things that were pulling her away. And I'm guessing we all have our things that pull us away. The good news in this passage is even if we have the Martha moment of our hearts either drifting or being pulled away, the good news in this passage is that Jesus is in no mood to write people off. But Jesus intentionally 
comes after people. I hope you appreciate that. I, I know I need to appreciate that more in my heart. That Jesus actually moves toward people. This is why, why we have a story in the Bible about the good shepherd kind of going out for that one sheep that's lost. This is why we have a, a story in the Bible about the father going out to an older brother who doesn't want to come in and be reconciled with the family. The father goes out. The shepherd goes out looking. And here Jesus doesn't say, you know what, Martha, you can just, you can just have your own problem. That's, that's your, your problem. But I'm going to keep teaching. There's actually a moment of address. Jesus addresses Martha, which is good news because you and I might be stuck and Jesus never is. And you and I might lose our focus. We likely will. But Jesus is laser focused on bringing us home. You and I will likely worry and Jesus is very ready to calm you. You and I likely are going to find times in our life where we're pretty upset and Jesus is very prepared to restore our soul. This is the one who created the world, upholds it with his word, has been entrusted with all authority and still is sympathetic to my weakness and your weakness. And that is exactly why he moves not away from Martha, but he moves toward her. And he holds out something so much better for her. I mean, we started off by asking like, what does Martha want? But I want us to look at what does Jesus want? What exactly does Jesus want? And, and Jesus doesn't launch into a multi-step distraction detox program for Martha. Saying if you follow these three things and do these four things and try to do this strategy and that strategy, Jesus does not start there. Do you notice exactly where Jesus starts? It says in verse 41, the first two words out of Jesus' mouth, when Martha has just told the Lord of glory what to do, Jesus calls her name twice. As I read that, I don't, don't even know that I had full appreciation of exactly what that meant until I you know, got a little older and certainly as a parent, what it means when you call the name twice. So the first time you say the name, you're wanting attention. But there is something about this that I read, and I don't think I'm reading too much into it. When he says, Martha, Martha, I wonder if the second Martha is like, maybe she's just stealing herself for a rebuke. Maybe she's getting prepared to be told off by Jesus. Get confronted, maybe get embarrassed in front of everybody. And I wonder if the second Martha is going, Martha, and embedded in her name being called out by Jesus is, I want you to know how much I care. I feel like as a parent, sometimes you're saying, I, I want you to listen because I'm 100%, I'm 1,000% for you. I love you. I want what's best for you. And so I need you to know what, I, what I'm about to say may be tough, but I want you to know I'm saying it because I love you, because I care. And so I hear that in Jesus' voice when he calls her name twice and then says, Martha, Martha, you are. And then he, then he just reads her, reads her heart what's going on there. And there's something about that. 
She is vulnerable before Jesus, but, and that would be terrifying if it were anybody else, but before Jesus, he opens up her heart and names what's going on in her heart. You are anxious and troubled. You are worried and upset. On one level, that couldn't be easy to hear. I never like it when someone's kind of reading my mail and knows exactly where I am, and it's, it, it's not really favorable to me. On another level, when a friend says, Curtis, I think this is where you are, and actually knows what's going on, and sometimes I can't even articulate what's going on, but someone names it, there's something about that from a friend that you go, you know me. You know exactly what's going on. I wonder if in that moment Jesus is not Jesus is not really going, shame on you, Martha. Shame, shame, shame. But I wonder if he's saying, Martha, can we look at where you are? I'm here and you're a million miles away. I'm talking and I've got words of life to share and you're distracted. You could be at my feet listening to my word, but instead you're in my face telling me what to do. Martha, this is not a cold scold from Jesus. This is Jesus' presence speaking. And man, in those moments where Jesus would take the time to name me by name, I want to be in a place where I'm willing to listen, where I'm ready to hear. And Jesus draws lines and he draws them clearly. He draws those lines clearly, doesn't he? He says, you're distracted with many things, but one thing is really necessary here, and there's some urgency about that. One thing is necessary. There's one thing really important. Although, Martha, I know you're seeing a thousand things as, like, important. I'm telling you, one thing is very, very important. That's what we've got to focus on. I'm speaking, being at my feet, listening to my word. And Mary has chosen the good portion, and that wording, good portion, it's it even has a, a hint at being like mealtime. Mary made the right choice. She had the good portion. Could it be that Jesus is even saying there is a meal being served here, but the meal isn't so much what's on plates and what, what you're going to eat in a second. The, the meal being served is I'm teaching you and I'm, I'm the bread of life and I have the words of life to give to you. And you're, you're worried about the other meal when actually I'm feeding you and you can live by these words. There's something that is urgent and necessary. There's something that is better and there's something that's going to last long after a few minutes of being a, around a, a meal. There's something that's going to be enduring. What Mary has chosen, the good portion she's chosen, the right choice she's made, it'll never be taken away. The time she spent, not won't be taken away the rest of the day, the rest of the week. Urgent, better, lasting. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is what he's calling Martha to. We need to hear his voice. I, I wonder if it blindsides us a little bit that Jesus is actually eager to spend time with us. I mean, of all the things he could have addressed and could have said, Actually, what he wants from Martha in that moment is like, I want you here, listening. I want you with me. Your proximity matters to me. So wherever you are with Jesus, like, 
the distance is not lost on him, and that proximity matters to him. He wants you closer, not further. For all that you may even assume religion is, or spirituality is, Jesus says it's not just an all-out blitz to try to obey as many rules as you can and not mess up very often. But Jesus recasts this of what's most urgent and important here is that you're present. This is what he wants. As I, as I read toward the end of Luke 10, you actually don't hear how the story completely resolves. Sometimes stories like this, I know God's word is perfect and complete and enough. Sometimes I'm, I am curious enough to know, I wonder what was said next. I wonder how Martha responded. I wonder how she responded to this encounter where Jesus took the time to see her distress, to call out her name, to move toward her in love, and tell her there is a lot better path that you can be on. Did it change her? The next time, the next like significant portion of scripture where Martha is mentioned is in John 11. And Martha is saying amazing things about Jesus. Like you are the Christ. You are the one who's come into the world. So I have to think if you'll let me do a little thought experiment. I, I do believe this encounter had to have changed Martha. Again, we're not told, but I, I do wonder. And, and here's what I'd like to think. I'd like to think that Martha, I don't know that she did a complete 180. So I don't think if we met Martha three months later, six months later, a year later, you would meet Martha who didn't have any opinions about anything. I don't think that's the way life works. I don't think it works like that. I don't think maybe you meet Martha the next day and she has no care in the world. That's probably not the way it works with her. That's certainly not the way it works with me. But I do wonder if there could be a change in her life. I wonder what that would look like. Can we just speculate a minute? What if, because of this encounter, the expression of her feelings got dialed back? She's not so quick to be judgmental and not so quick to be blind to the fact that Mary actually is doing a good thing here. Maybe her impulse is like, somebody needs to help, but maybe she dials it back. And that's progress. And that's change. What if she was not so quick to try to maneuver others into doing what she wanted them to do to get her way? What if she did that less? I'm not saying the temptation would be gone immediately. I mean, Martha's going to be Martha, and you're going to be you. But what if, what if over time it changes? What if, what if Martha realized at times she pushed too hard and too far and needed to ask for forgiveness? What if Martha found a way on occasion to de-escalate her own stress and kind of rework expectations and actually process, you know, an amazing thing is happening right now. My Lord is in the house talking and it's going to be okay. What if she just made, what, what if she got 10 to 20% better at really dialing into what Jesus has to say? What if she was not nearly as prone to worry? I'm guessing that would be a fight for her. I know it's a fight for me at times. What if she wasn't on the verge of being upset, but she 
was able over time to live with more faith, relying on him. What that would mean is Martha changed. Martha changed significantly. And the people around her would notice. And God would be moving her more toward what is better, what is urgent, and what is lasting. I do believe, again, I don't know exactly what happened in Martha's life, but I do believe God can do that slow work, slow and steady over time in our lives. So if you see way too many things in Martha's life that ring the bell in your own life, way too much like trying to maneuver and manipulate people and getting mad when they don't do what you want, could it be that the Lord begins to change you? Could it be instead of being totally distracted, you get to the place where most Sundays, let's not say 100%, but maybe most Sundays, you find joy in singing. You find joy in being at his feet. You find joy in humbly like hearing who he is and praying to him. You take in the privilege of what we're doing right now, and we take it in and we go, okay, we're together. We are together. I'm with brothers and sisters who love Jesus and love me. What if... Could we get to that place where we hear his voice speaking? And yes, I I think speaking where a few more minutes are devoted to taking in God's word, reading or listening or meditating or reflecting, but, but maybe even in group settings where it's more of a priority to us to listen to what others are saying. And someone shares an insight that we never saw before and it helps us appreciate God more. Would that not move us? Would that not change us to where we're, okay, we're at his feet and one thing is really important here. And maybe over time, our distractions become fewer. We go into a time of prayer and it feels like if I want my mind to wander all over the place, I just need to try to pray. And I will be so scattered. But what if I find a way to manage those distractions just a little bit better? because it matters to me so much to be at his feet and hear his word? What if I'm quicker to recognize what's going on when my heart starts getting distracted and worried and upset? What if I'm quicker to cry for help? What if I'm quicker to reach out to a friend, quicker to be honest? I don't know, I mean, God can do anything, so we might change instantaneously overnight, and yet more likely, I wonder if day by day, week by week, month by month, being at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, what if that changed us? Well, I want to pray to the only one who can do that, because I can make all the good plans and even resolutions I want to, and Jesus can speak one word to my heart, And immediately, I can be calm. And that's what I'd love for. I'd love for that to happen in regular intervals this coming year in our lives. So I'm going to ask God for that, for me and for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder that you have great pleasure in what Mary did. And you also have great patience with Marcia, with uh, Martha and her, uh, her imperfections and her worry and her distractions. 
So Father, I pray that you would help us in those moments where we are far from your feet and we don't really have ears to hear your word. And just as you drew Martha back, as just as you drew her by name, I pray you would call our names and you would change us. We don't have a lot to offer here other than our heart, and so that's, that's exactly what we do offer. We ask you to speak. We ask you to humble us, even if that's not comfortable. We ask you to change us for our good, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.